Tribe Athlon podcast, finding out how ordinary people do extraordinary things. It's like a wind tunnel, you know, learning to swim against a current that is that much denser, you know, the water flowing around you can really punish you. So in terms of naturally teaching you swim technique, I think they're fantastic. That was Dan Bullock. And this episode is Swim for Try. Hello, welcome to the Try Bathroom podcast. Charlie Redding here and I'm without a co-host this week. Uh, I haven't got quite organised in terms of uh, uh, lining up the co-host I would have liked. So uh, it's just me. But I thought I'd take the opportunity to do a couple of things. First thing is that I just have run this last weekend the London Marathon. Uh, It's only my second organised marathon. I've run a few marathons as part of Ironmans um, or uh, just on my own. But it's my second proper marathon, the first one being the Brighton Marathon, which was my actually my first marathon where I snuck just under four hours. Can't remember exactly the time, but it was um, uh, two years ago and it was in the lead up to Ironman Italy as part of my training for that. And it was a brilliant experience, but I have to say London was a step beyond. I absolutely loved it. The atmosphere was incredible. Um, met some wonderful people, ran with some incredibly inspiring people, uh, double amputee, uh, people running in rhino outfits, trees uh, a guy in his budgie smugglers called tom just amazing atmosphere the crowd was incredible the the kind of music along the way was amazing it was just such a brilliant experience definitely a bucket list race and uh, and inspired me to go and do more and more marathons as well as things like the ironmans and and stepping towards the ultras soon so it really was an incredible race as i'm sure you don't need me to, to say because everybody you know has seen it and knows it but if you haven't if you're having any kind of doubt uh, i'd just say try and get in because it is a, a, a monumental day one that you will never forget and one that will inspire you to train harder um, i'd set out at the start of the year uh to do my two of my two fitness goals for the start of the year were to do an Ironman in under 11 hours uh, and despite the torrential rain and 40 mile an hour winds I managed to do Ironman Tallinn in under uh, under 11 hours in 10.52 uh, and then also I did uh, my second goal was to do a sub 3.30 marathon and despite running 27.17 miles so nearly a mile more than an actual marathon I still managed to get in at 328 which was really pleasing uh, if only I could have been, was able to run in a straighter line I might have even got that down by a significantly bigger chunk it was my fastest half marathon within that time um, so uh, so that was really good so it does show you the power of setting goals and I was actually sitting in the pub afterwards well actually amazing experience i walked into a pub near london bridge having finished the um marathon and the whole pub erupted in a round of applause and cheering because i'd got my medal on which you know it was just brilliant they were doing it for every marathon runner that walked in uh, and it was uh, a real a real moment that made me choke up a little bit it was it was incredible anyway i was sitting there 
having my roast beef and a pint of real ale, thinking back to the chapter in the Charlie Spedding book, uh, which is called A Beer Drinker's Guide to Sports Psychology. And I was sitting there drinking my nice pint of real ale, thinking about the fact that he was at that point writing down very specific goals. And ultimately, those are the goals he ended up achieving by getting the the bronze medal in the uh, LA Olympics. And I was sitting there thinking, right, I've, I've done my two main goals, which was the sub 11 and the sub three and a half. And also I had a third goal, which was to do a sub five half. Uh, and I did the Vitruvian in 4.52, I think it was. So it, it is amazing the power of sitting there and writing goals and being specific. So um, smart goals, as they say, smart um, means specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and a time frame. And so by writing goals out regularly and being very specific with them, you're much more likely to achieve the things that are important to you. And definitely Sunday was one of those things for me, completing a bucket list race in my uh, goal time, which was absolutely brilliant. The other thing I was going to talk to you just briefly about on this intro is a few of the books I've been reading lately. Uh, Obviously, the Charlie Spedding book I've mentioned before, but I really love that from last to first. Um, lovely book Uh, I particularly like the chapter A Beer Drinker's Guide to Sports Psychology that I think was a fantastic chapter but a few other books I've been reading Um, the first one was Super Forecasting by Philip Tetlock and Dan Gardner Gardner, uh, that was actually recommended to me on this podcast by Malcolm Brown the Brownlees coach Uh, and it's a really good book Uh, it's got some really interesting takes on statistics and looking at the numbers and and so I, I thought that was a really fascinating book Another book, which is not sport related at all, but it is about health and happiness and health, wealth and happiness, uh, is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant by Eric Jorgensen. Now, Naval Ravikant is a very, very phenomenally successful uh, entrepreneur, but also uh, a modern day philosopher. And he puts that philosophy out mostly through Twitter and through his blog. And uh, Eric Jorgensen has consolidated his best work and put it into a book called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And there is so much brilliant wisdom in this book, so many good pieces of advice. Um, One that just struck a chord with me, which is something I've talked about in my financial planning business before, but never really quite so succinctly, is the fact that ultimately there's the three things that we're trying to get, isn't there? There's health, um, wealth and um, time and really what we what we want uh, in in our young in our younger years so in our 20s and 30s we have loads of time um, we have loads of health but we don't have the money to do what we want in our midlife uh, in our 40s to our 60s let's say we have money and we have health but we don't have the time we're time poor and then in our later years we have money we have time but we don't have the health to do the things that we want to do. And so really hitting the sweet spot of life is trying to get to a point where you've got all three. So you've got time, you've got money, and you've got your health. And if you can crack getting all those three at the same time, you've achieved amazing things. The third book I've just finished reading recently was a book called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To by Dr. David Sinclair and Matthew D. Lepante. Oh, Laplante, sorry, Laplante, Matthew D. Laplante. 
Um, and that is a fantastic book in terms of understanding aging as a disease rather than just as something that happens to us all and what we could do to stop it and even sometimes reverse it. Brilliant book. Really recommend you checking that out if you're interested in health in any way, shape or form. And then the final one, which is probably more in line with what you would expect me to be talking about on the Tribathlon podcast, but is also a brilliant book, is Relentless by Alistair Brownlee. And, you know, it's looking at the lessons that we can learn from a range of different sports, whether it be from Ronnie O'Sullivan or to Ian Poulter to uh, David Ir- or sorry, Dennis Irwin. It is just a brilliant, if you love sport, you will love reading Relentless. There's so many wonderful interviews with incredible sports people and so many brilliant lessons to take from it. So anyway, uh, in the absence of a formal co-host, I hope there's given you some, that's given you some little things that you might want to go out and check out uh, or some inspiration to do something, uh, a bucket list race for next year. And so let's crack on with the rest of the podcast. Dan Bullock is an accomplished swimmer and triathlete, being a National Masters Open Water Champion in 2008 and a former British age group record holder for the 800 metres. But he now spends his time running a business called Swim for Try, the Swim Improvement Specialists. Dan knows triathlon inside out and particularly how we can improve the swim leg of our triathlon or just our swimming in open water or in the pool in general. So I got the chance to chat to Dan about how we can improve our technique, how we can swim better in those tricky open water conditions, like for example, I got in, in Tallinn, where we're swimming in a murky lake with 40 mile an hour winds, creating a, a hideous amount of chop, uh, how um, we can swim train during lockdown. Let's hope we never need it again, but just in case, or if you're traveling, it's good to know how you can maintain your swim fitness uh, whilst um, being unable to swim and the difficulty of being a good runner and a swimmer. And we also got to talk about how podcasting has helped him and me get through lockdown, as well as helping his clients get through lockdown. So there's so much brilliant stuff in this uh, conversation that I know you're gonna enjoy with Dan Bullock of Swim for Try. Today's show is brought to you by Precision Hydration, who help athletes personalize their hydration and fueling strategies so that they can perform at their best. They work with a long list of incredible athletes, including multiple 70.3 champions, Sam Appleton and Sarah Crowley. You can check out their details at precisionhydration.com, and that also includes details of their quick carb calculator, to help you understand how much carbohydrate you need per hour to perform at your best. So they're trying to do for fueling what they've already done for hydration. And as a listener of the show, you can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes or fuel using the code TRIBEATHLON15 at the checkout. Dan, welcome to the Tribe Athlon podcast. Really looking forward to having a, a chat with you and learning loads about swimming. So to kick things off, for those people that don't know much about you, do you want to tell people a little bit about how you got into swimming and, and your successes over your swimming career? Um, good morning, Charlie. Thank you for, for having me on. Um, 
Gosh, it's I, I turned 50 last year and, and I just reflecting back, swimming has just been a family thing, a, a whole life thing. We were fortunate that I think we started because my mum was not a strong swimmer. So my sister and I went for swimming lessons. It was like a Friday night treat from a very, very young age. And uh, my dad was quite good. So we picked it up quite quickly at a young age i mean we you know for all those triathletes that didn't swim as a youngster here's our good bit of fortune we started young and the longer you leave it it, it, it is going to get trickier but um so we it was a friday night treat we would go on a weekly basis some of the lifeguards noticed we were doing quite well suggested we joined a club and it, it grew grew from there really it took, uh, we were in Northeast London, um, Essex County Championship, Southern Counties at Crystal Palace, trips overseas. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to a, a, a really good um, sort of uh, school in Somerset, private school that had a swim squad, uh, very well known, very, very strong swim squad, a scholarship to the US. And this was all pure pool swimming. I hadn't even heard of triathlon at, at this time. Um, I was doing okay with running. We, um, some of the coaches I worked with were quite enlightened and we were doing a lot of dry land and, and mobility work and stretching and, and uh, cross training, some running. But um, it sort of felt, it seemed like the, at 16, there was sort of, um, I was running quite a lot with the school because I was fit from swimming. And I sort of had to make a decision and, I, and I'd won medals at, at junior nationals. And so swimming was really, this was 1986, so triathlon still was not popular or well known. So it, it wasn't much of a decision, really. You know, swimming was on the on the cards. Um, a good friend had followed the same trajectory. He was a few years older. He'd gone to to Millfield School. He'd gone to the US on scholarship, and um, I was kind of following his progress. So there was this little moment that running was popular. I did quite well at school cross country, um, but triathlon just wasn't strong enough to lure me away uh, at, at that point, it, even if we you know, had heard of it and, and it had been an option. So then followed a, an amazing four years in the US swimming, um, conference champion, over 500 yards free. So long distance front crawl was, was my thing. I had a good engine. Um, Olympic trials in 88 and 1992, they went quite well. Although I, I, at this point, I've, speaking to some of our psychology, sports psychologists, I, I sort of wish I had known more back then that I was very much a team player and representing my, my school and, and uh, the, the university, um, I really performed well. But coming back to the British Olympic trials as a solo swimmer, I, I, I struggled to create that enthusiasm so, you know, looking back, I can see where I didn't do as well, um, which is a bit frustrating, but, you know, I, I can hardly complain. I got scholarships. I, I traveled the world. It was amazing. And it it set me on this path to long distance swimming. And, and I wonder if if long distance open water had been a, a sport, an event back then, um, because I had this great engine and a reasonable turn of speed in the pool, um, not a bad sprinter, but really a good engine. Um I could have done well at the 10K in open water and, and this would have been, but it just wasn't there. We know open water didn't appear until Beijing in 2008. So I was, um, I, I definitely hung up my serious goggles by then. Um, 
I started work actually as a sound engineer and um, it was quite glamorous meeting celebrities at a Soho sound studio in London. And most people probably would have given their right arm for, for this sort of position, but I was still sports focused and minded. And by now, 1997, London Try was becoming a bit more well known. I know Iron Man was well established, but the you know that 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 seemed like a very extreme thing back then. So uh, sadly, we just lost my father to uh, lung cancer. Um, Macmillan were advertising for uh, competitors to represent, raise money at the London Try in 1997, and and that was my first go. I thought, you know, I can swim. Biking's not bad, and I used to run. But by now, I'd become a, a more mature um, swimmer with the shoulders and the, the super mobility. Thinking back to what I used to do as a 16-year-old and now, you know, being mid-late 20s, you know, my running was horrible. My fitness got me around a 10K, not too bad. But um, a few years later, I found out that a marathon was – and if you notice, very few – good good swimmers make the transition to triathlon it's a it's it's quite rare and i mean you know it's there's a couple well known at the moment and we can talk about that later and more if you if you've got an, a, a mind for sort of what makes a good swimmer into triathlon perhaps but um but yeah my super mobility of ankles and broad shoulders it, it looked like a I looked like a giraffe stumbling around the docklands off the bike. So, but I enjoyed it. I, you know, for someone that, that um, you know, after thousands and thousands of meters of swimming up and down, looking at the black line to be on a bike, to be running, to be open water, this was a whole new world. It was amazing. And, uh, and it sort of started from there, really a few years of doing Olympic distance, some people started asking, you know, how do you swim like that? I was exiting the water pretty high. And uh, my sister and I, she was already a swim teacher. And I had this sort of background in sound, video, audio from the studio work. And um, so I would take cameras to some lessons we got going. Uh, was sort of a bit cheeky. I was doing editing and making DVDs, which is quite groundbreaking if you think of it, like um, over 20 years ago. Underwater analysis, clients were getting DVDs. Um, and it blossomed from there, really. And there was enough traction that eventually we quit our real jobs and, and Swim for Try launched. Fantastic. And what do, you, what do you think your highlight of your swimming career was? Gosh, it, 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 as a pure swimmer or, or yeah. what I – okay, swimmer. so um, if you can imagine the enthusiasm for swimming in the U.S. Um, and at a collegiate level – and then you've got these dual meet. It's very different to racing in the UK, you know, where Saturday night you go to Speedo League Gala, represent your club, um, kind of have a, a fun evening out. But here, the, you know, money is generated from the football team packing the stadiums. And, you know, that pays for scholarships. And if you don't perform in the in in your sport they they get a little bit irritated um so the enthusiasm and the dedication i mean i swam so far when i arrived it really opened my eyes you know but i mean to have a 50 meter pool on on site 200 meters from our halls of residence um i did i i realized that i'd had fun up to this point but suddenly it was another level and i'd already been to like the british olympic trials in 88 and then i arrived in the u.s and so we hadn't beaten Eastern Michigan 
in a dual meet in sort of in 20 years. And we had a pretty strong team forming. Um, I'd recruited uh, a, a young swimmer from, from Sheffield. He came over with me uh, and, and we had this opportunity to beat Eastern Michigan. And the coach brought in all these old alumnus, uh, old swimmers, and the pep talks were there. The marching band was on the poolside. And if you can imagine the, the excitement, it's coming down to, we're getting very, it basically got three quarters of the way through the dual meet. I'm swimming the 500 yard free. It's my best event. If I win this, because of the way the point structure is organized, Eastern Michigan can't catch us. We win the dual meet at this point, even though there's more races to come, they can't catch us. And um, I'd swum the thousand yards earlier, hadn't felt that great, but the pressure was on. And that's, and now looking back, that's what I needed. I, I needed a, a team, a commitment, a reason. And I was, I was struggling to find that as an individual swimmer, uh, you know, even though it was the Olympic trials, which is a bit disappointing. But I won the 500-yard free. The building erupted. We'd beaten Eastern Michigan. You know, the, the alumni were there. I'd rather go to prison than, than, than lose against such a, you know, like these were old gentlemen in their 60s and 70s back then um, that had won in that prior era. And, and that just always sticks with me that, you know, I helped end that that dominance so that was a, a, a remarkable day for the team but i also swam really really well it's interesting isn't it performing as a team you know obviously we just had the Ryder cup uh and not long before that the collins cup and it's very interesting how people perform differently in a team environment than they do in an individual sport so maybe that's something we come back to um what um what was your highlight of the uh, of your triathlons um I actually took it quite serious around 2000, 2001, um, you know, the age group championships were, uh, there were, there was a Europeans to Holland. There was a, my first world age group champs was in Edmonton, Canada. Um, so I was taking it quite serious. Um, you know, I had a very flexible job. I was traveling. I'd, I'd enjoyed my time in the U S I'd left the sound studio. I was now working for a software company that, um, sort of most of the DVDs you've ever watched will have been transferred onto um, from the master disc onto the disc. So it was, it was a, a really exciting time. And so I was traveling back and forth to gold uh, to San Francisco where the headquarters were racing for golden gate, try telling my boss, I needed to come over for more training, not elaborating that I meant triathlon training. He thought it meant, you know, training software on the job. Um, and I was racing, you know, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, Wildflower, all those Brilliant. amazing West Coast races that you might have heard about. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I was really into it back then and, and having a lot of fun traveling. Cancun was a world age group champs. That was hard. That was hot. But I actually won my first sprint overall outright, which um, for somebody that ran so not so well, I mean, I, I wasn't bad, I, um, but, you know, if you can swim 18 minutes, bike an hour, you know, 40, 41 minutes is not really on a par. <laughs> it is way off the pace. Um, you know, my swim, I could have maybe joined a few uh, elite races, but then once they'd have dropped me on the bike and then I would have been kicked off. But um, I won a, a sprint in Um, It was Luckily, it was a pool swim, so I got a, a good 
lead um, with the tumble turns and a lack of wetsuit obviously hindered a lot of the, 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 the pure triathletes and I hung on for the win. So that, that was quite special. Fantastic. And it's funny, actually, a, a, an old school friend of mine uh, who was doing Ironmans long before I, I uh, was, but um, has actually, I think he's fallen off the perch on it at the moment. But he's a very, very strong swimmer as well. And he always makes me laugh that, you know, he comes out the water in sort of third or fourth place. And then he spends the duration of the bike and the run uh, being overtaken by other people, which psychologically must be really tough. It, you know, it's so lovely to to be overtaking people when you're racing, but just to have this constant stream of people coming past you. Uh, <laughs> would you concur? Uh, oh, absolutely. My first Ironman was Lake Placid in 2003. And um, this was at a time when the pros might have had like a 100 meter head start, uh, in the water and then we waded in off of the bank so I mean they were they were away they were gone and we were chasing and I sort of weaved through caught quite a few of them eventually and uh, exited quite high and then after that and actually I think it was I, I've, I've, I've still got the footage somewhere Phil Liggett is commentating and um I'm sure he said something like, you know, and here's an unknown up here. Maybe he only did like one lap of the swim, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and, and then sort of the pro women were exiting and there's me sort of looking very amateurish, wandering around what to do, not sure what to do, where to go since transition was so huge. And then I think about 1500 people overtook me the rest of the day. <laughs> so um, yeah, I was, I was guilty of that, not working on my, my weaknesses. Yeah. It must be, is there, you obviously coached a lot of swimmers in the triathlon world. Is there anything you, you kind of talk to them about that um, concept of just, you know, dealing with, you know, being fast out the water and overtaken thereafter? I mean, yeah, it's psychologically, it, it is quite, uh, it is quite depressing really. Um, I mean, it's exciting for a while. You're thinking, Oh, maybe this will be the day I, 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 chop an hour and a half off my marathon and I'm competitive like no 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 um but you know you, you've got if, if it's planned well in advance you know you can relax back on the swim and you know you should really but this is one of the the beautiful the beauties of triathlon you know where my super mobile ankles give me a good kick I run like, a, you know, I swim like a fish and, and run like a duck and my feet and ankles are all over the place. So what do I do? Do I tighten up, do some exercises, some strength and conditioning to make my running better and lose my swim? Or, or, or do I persevere with being at very average on, on the run? Um, you know, these are discussions and it, it depends on what, I mean, I've taught do athletes how to swim better and become pro Ironman. And these are interesting debates you have, you know, we all know you can't win the race, the triathlon on the swim. Obviously, if it goes particularly bad, you may not be allowed to, to continue uh, in its worst case scenario. So, you know, some emphasis has to be placed on, on the swim and it has an important role. And, you know, I, I hope people take it seriously enough that, you know, on the bike or the run, if I cramp, if I am unhappy, I can sit down and rest in the water with lots and lots of people around you it's a very scary place so i hope people put the emphasis in to at least have a safe enjoyable swim you know a lot of people can wing it and get through but i doubt they'd enjoy it and i doubt they'd want to do it again so you know depending on who it is where they are 
Um, work on your weaknesses, definitely. If you want to be a well-rounded, enjoy the sport, repeat, come back and do it again, that's all, that's all very important. Um, I mean, I, I've heard it said that, that the swim is the journey to the race, to the real yeah. race. You know, the race begins on the bike. Um, but, but you are right in that it, it actually is the most intimidating part of the triathlon for the majority I, I of people, so. isn't it? I think so. Definitely. Definitely. We, you know, it, we, 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 for many years, we hired um, the Serpentine Hyde Park and there was a run up to the London try and, and with a two weeks to go, people still were not happy about their wetsuit chafing and goggles leaking. And, and, and I, it was frustrating that people weren't taking this as seriously as they should. I mean, they were paying my wages. So it was hard to be hard to be too uh, you know, uh, down on them. Um, but, you know, this is a, a the docks are a, a very large, intimidating, cold body of water. And here were people jumping in to swim a mile, you know, in the world of Olympic swimming in the pool, a mile is like the longest distance we race. And here it is the starting point of a bike and a run event, the triathlon. And people were just sort of very, very sort of relaxed about it. And, and that was, I mean, it was frustrating that if they'd come two months earlier, we could have really ironed out all these problems. Um, is there is there any advice you give people that do find because it's it's not the the body body of open water is definitely one of the things that intimidates people, but it's also the triathlon start particular where you've got arms and feet flying everywhere. Um, is there anything that you any advice you give people as to dealing with that, particularly the start and the and the fear of that? um triathlon swim it never ceases to amaze me that that well from race to race obviously the depth of competition and the the quality of of athlete obviously it's hard to know if you're a regular on the on the you know when i was racing olympic distance i would look at my age group and i'd literally know who the good swimmers were who to follow where the bikers were on the start line and and so on i think now it's so such a big sport such a wide range of races it's hard to have that but you know if you're a strong swimmer but nervous you should still be towards the front of the pack. And I know there's lots of different race formats now that are changing this to try to make things a little less intimidating. Mm. And, and again, that's another argument. Is that taking away from the spirit of the original sport? Um, maybe that's a discussion for another time. But I, I've seen good swimmers, nervous, stay at the back of the pack and then struggle to meander through you know, the people that weren't sure that went in the middle and that's dangerous because you've got big kicks and strong bones in the heels and you're jamming fingers in. Um, you know, I, the, it's a bit old hat now, but, you know, starting wide, if you're not sure, if you start wide and look, you know, if it's a clockwise course, you know, start wide to the left so that even if you are faster than the pack, you will merge in and sort of join later on as it dies down. If it's anti-clockwise, start to, to the right and so on, if it's sort of some sort of oval. Um, you know, in our pool sessions, in our training camps, in our lakes, we recreate this in small groups. You know, first of all, it's not even drafting. It is just swimming slightly uncomfortable, shoulder to shoulder with your neighbour, and then once you add 10, 15, 20 people beyond the immediate people, it, it, you know, it, it kind of your brain registers and accepts that, OK, well, that's that's what this is. I mean, something simple, though, 
it's funny, isn't it? You watch the start of the London, and you're doing the London Marathon this weekend, aren't you? And I know you've got a different sort of start category system mm. there as well. Um, but if you lay flat, if you lay flat at the start of the swim and sort of a little bit of sculling to hold you in position, a little bit of kicking to balance you and just hold, people sort of give you that space and you're already horizontal. So when the gun goes, you're in the swimming position. Treading water vertically, people nudge up behind you and you're closer. Suddenly the gun goes, everyone wants to get horizontal and it's chaos. Mm. And it's funny that when you start a marathon, people walk and until it unfolds a little bit and you get the space and then it's a casual jog. I mean, I'm not talking about the elites at the front, that's different, but you know, when you're in those packs and the, the, um, uh, in the, uh, pens and so on, it, do, is that right? You just walk for the most part until it opens out. The gun goes in a swim or at the start of a triathlon and it's carnage. Mm. I don't understand why people want to start so fast. Um, give yourself some space, start wide, lay flat, People look and think, oh, this person knows what they're doing. I mean, you may not once the gun goes, but at least you've given yourself a little bit of breathing room and that might just help a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. I think, um, yeah, I can I can see that that, you know, that would. And I also wonder if lying in the water will, would be more calming, you know, whether it's, you know, because one of the other pieces of advice I've picked up lately is, at the start of the swim focus on your breathing because mm. you know from a mindful point of view you can you know once you focus on your breathing it's you know kind of very calming isn't it we we focus in training we recreate something called mid-race cruise because unavoidably with the best will in the world um the excitement you, m most people start too fast so you've got to get to that first boy and learn to calm it down, get the breathing back under control. Hopefully you've done a good dry land warm up to preempt that impact on the body of swimming too fast to start with. Um, solid dry land will get the blood flow, get the breathing going, get you warm and, you know, swinging the arms, you know, some, some simple arm movements will just really, really help. And once you get to the first boy, you must calm down, run a little diagnostic, check the areas of the technique that might've escaped from the excitement. And we do a lot of that, you know, break up um, 400 meters into hundred meters fast, and then 300 meters mid race cruise, where we run a diagnostic, get the technique back under control, calm it back down to your normal breathing pattern so that you can then sustain that, whether it's another half a mile, a mile, 3.8 K or whatever. But, you know, breathing is all important, getting warm, getting ready, and, and practicing in, in training, you know, if you're taking this quite seriously, you know, these races are too expensive now to, to, you know, be pulled out at the first boy. I mean, heaven forbid that I, I would have thought that's got to be the most upsetting thing you could, that could happen now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And when I did Ironman Tallinn over the summer, uh, we had beautiful weather, the two, two or three days I was in Tallinn before the race, beautiful weather for the couple of days I was in Tallinn after the race. But on race day, we had 40 mile an hour winds and torrential rain. So clearly the rain didn't make any impact on the swim. But bearing in mind that the swim is in a lake now, as opposed to the sea, as it, I think it used to be, uh, it was it was actually quite, it was more choppy than most sea swims. And I do quite a lot of sea swimming because, of course, once you're in a sea swim, once you get beyond the break, it kind of tends to be OK. Um but it, because it was a lake and the, because of the wind, it was just that constant chop and you kind of turned into the into the wave. 
just at the, you know, after say, you know, a few hundred meters. And suddenly it was like, wow, every time you looked up, there was a wave hitting you in the face and you were going straight into it. Is there anything that, any advice that you can give around dealing with those sorts of situations? Because I would imagine, I thought at the time, you know, I'm a fairly confident swimmer, but I thought at the time, anybody that's not confident Mm. that is swimming in murky water that you can't see your hand in front of your face in and hitting being hit with these waves it must have been quite a tough swim i think i I honestly if there's if there's disadvantage to being a pure swimmer coming into water it's that it's it's the environment it's the weather conditions you know you're used to your private little lane following the black line beautiful clinical calm conditions and suddenly, I mean, I, I lived in Devon for a little while and did some sea swimming and some some friends that in the pool would not be near me. Suddenly in open water was swimming with me because my clinical style, my, you know, my unwillingness to change anything and adapt. I couldn't read the conditions. I couldn't read the current, the chop where they had grown up in the area. I'd, I'd left London and they knew how to read the open water and they knew how to subtle you know subtle modifications to their technique um they had the mindset that you know we're in open water it's this huge expanse don't panic because it will feel like you're not really making any progress because there's very there's limited sighting um markers it's hard to check your progress you know i was used to the calm weather i had a very clinical pool-based stroke and it, it it was a hindrance so you know now being a more adaptable swimmer is is if, if we have a theory or a um you know a mission sort of statement is you know become an adaptable swimmer read the conditions if it gets choppy you probably will need to revert to more of a um uh, if, if you think about the way your hands are related to each other um learning to swim it's quite nice to sort of keep almost adapt to a near catch-up style when you're early on in your swimming it slows things down you can work on your accuracy as you get stronger fitter more confident and you want to swim in less than ideal conditions against a current you've obviously got to be a little bit more looping um or with a pure straight arm i'm really struggling in my shed sorry um (laughs) with a straight arm recovery or, or so, you know, the high classic high elbow, uh, unless you've got excellent rotation and you can really get good clearance, the high elbow it has its limitations, which would have worked nicely in the pool. So all these little things coming from the pool into open water, being adaptable, being able to breathe to both sides is absolutely critical. We train bilateral breathing as best we can and that's not just changing you know every third one two three change one you know we might do a length to the left a length to the right the the what that does for your swimming technique you know the balance the symmetry stops bad habits becoming ingrained but you don't have to be every three that's sort of old textbook we know in open water that there'll be someone there there'll be the sunrise there'll be you mentioned vitruvian earlier um, and that sunrise is right in front of you, isn't it? If, if yeah. the sun is rising yeah. on that particular year, I seem to remember every star right in your face, you know, and as you turn left, there it is. So, you know, if you can breathe away from the waves, the conditions, these are all the, the open water things that you really need to work on. And if you're in waves, you've got to get clearance. you still need your rotation. If you're not rotating and suddenly you try a high elbow recovery, you're going to grind your shoulders down. Um, so you need to be 
first and foremost, work on your rotation, learn how to get the shoulder high, and then you've got options as to how that arm recovers depending on the conditions. Um, breathing pattern, the relationship. I mentioned sort of that near catch up early on when you're learning to swim and developing your catch. It's all quite nice. But if you're against a current, you haven't got the opportunity to glide momentarily. You've got to keep one hand in holding while you're recovering. So suddenly the hands are at 180 to each other. So, you know, these are all the subtle things that, that we work on. So that's quite interesting, actually, because I was just with you t- talking about the near catch up. It reminded me of a, um, a book I read uh, not so long ago called Man Versus Ocean by Adam Walker. I'm sure you I'm sure you know of it. And his technique is very much, uh, you know, the, what they call the ocean walker technique, which is very much like catch up, isn't it? Um, but you're you're suggesting that into a current actually you're much better off not doing that because you're not going to get any glide is that is that right if you if you're if, if you've got the water strong enough and it's and it's sort of against you you know tr- it, it, uh, with catch up with catch up there is i mean pure catch up if you think about it, is alternating single arms yeah. yeah it is literally one arm and then the next arm yeah. So there's a moment when you've got nothing sort of setting your catch, you've got no hold, you've got no recovery. So what's going to happen if the water's bouncing you backwards? Yeah, you're just going to you're going to go backwards. Yeah. So you know, at the very least, at the very least, you should sort of have be setting your catch, and and if the conditions are good, I here's the 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 real lovely complexities and by swimming biomechanically is very hard to measure. And obviously we're all very different in our fitness, in our range of motion, our flexibility, but as a compromise, obviously pure catch-up is not effective as we just stated. This, with the hands at 180, it's very demanding. It's It takes a lot of fitness to keep spinning them. So as a compromise, we sort of work on, you know, if I'm entering, but I'm, if you can see that, I'm sort of setting my catch. My forearm is vertical. It's in front of the head. I'm a bit crunched up here. Forgive me. But this hand is about to enter. So now I've got an anchor to hold on to, and I've got the hips and the kicking, and I'm going to switch and twist into my next stroke. Right. And that's a nice compromise if the conditions allow that. Yeah. Allow that. Okay, fantastic. Um, but this is, this is also highlighting... The difficult because the, we don't use tend to use the video so much on on the podcast so it's, it's actually quite difficult getting across swim technique on audio isn't it and, and actually i think you're doing an, an excellent job <laughs> um and, and maybe that's because you've had the practice of talking about swimming on on your podcast so one of the things that, that we've got in common is that we both launched a podcast during uh during lockdown so tell me a little bit about why you launched the podcast. Um, and obviously tell us tell us the name of it. But um, what was what was the driver behind that, and what did we, you get out of it? We we wanted to stay in touch with our, you know, we, my sister and I run Swim for Try. We've got a small it's a small swim school basically. We do one to one lessons. Um, we started um, we started with an endless pool. We do one-to-one lessons. We've now got a traditional pool, which was fortunate because of the rent on a premises during lockdown would have been catastrophic. You know, it's a funny business model. We literally reacted and, and offered what was asked of us because, you know, back in 2003, when we sort of launched full time, you know, adults learning to swim faster was quite new. It was, you know, if you'd been unfortunate to miss school swimming, and you didn't know how to swim. There were options for that. There was master swimming, 
triathlon was up and coming, but there was very few people teaching adults how to learn to swim faster. So hence we, we got going. So we got lots of options for helping people to swim one-to-one fitness courses. Uh, then people wanted to go, um, to the lake. We had to find a lake. We found Hyde park at one point. We, um, then offer training camps. So got a, a real nice database of some lovely people. We wanted to keep in touch with them. We were very fortunate that most of our, because we, when lockdown hit, we were mid course. So our, for instance, our fitness courses run on a 12 week cycle each quarter. So at this point we owed a lot of money if everyone, we would have gone out of business if everyone had asked for their remaining courses to be refunded. So it was a very critical time, but you know, we've, we've, I think we've done a good job. We, before it was fashionable, we, we've been running a, you know, a, a charitable swim. We've helped aid the refugee. We've sort of put out there enough goodwill that it was, it came back to us and it really helped us. And we thank everyone that really looked after us. So we wanted to help. So we offered um, swim tips from the stairwell. So initially it was um, a little chat, things you could do while you were locked down. Um, I was doing stretch cords. I, I showed people how to build their own stretch cords out of an old set of paddles um, and hanging them vertically rather than bending over and, and sort of trying to do them horizontally worked really well with a set of stairs and a, and a banister and actually sort of standing and doing worked a lot better a lot of people found that really helpful oh i wish i wish i'd been listening following you at that point <laughs> because yeah. i was doing yeah and horizontal is not very good for your back is it it was, it was um, very uncomfortable yeah yeah so if you haven't got the benefit of a swim bench to prop you up um you know this worked really well so we were standing and we were actually just you know with an elasticated pulley system with the paddles and we were actually sort of just doing sessions for half an hour, three lunch times a week. So it was it was keeping in touch with our clients. And then from there, it, I thought, well, I'm enjoying this. I'm, I mean, even you know, because my wife was at home on mat leave, we had the the baby. Um, it was hard. It was really hard. You know, no garden, a uh, small flat. Um, now I'm in the shed in the garden. It's fantastic. Uh, I feel you know really privileged to to have this opportunity. Um, but yeah, so we, from, from that, I thought, you know, what would be nice. I've got my old equipment from my old job. I've got a good microphone. Um, I know a little bit about the editing. Why not give this a go? And, and I was speaking to my old coaching buddies from training camps, from competition, my dear friend, Ralph, who I give a hard time. He was the best man at my, at my wedding. And, uh, I went to watch him in the mid nineties do a race and he claims to have been a novice you know, a newcomer ever since. So um, I listened to the interview of Ralph, actually, because he, he had a, had a um, he did the Vitruvian as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, and for, for years have been, he's one of those cheeky ones. He'll come on a, he'll come on a training camp and um, I'll give him the first part of the swim session. And he'll say, you, I'm not doing that. You can't speak to me. I'm not, I'm the, I'm the client. <laughs> Get in the water and start training. Um, so, you know, we, it was, it was speaking to f colleagues and friends and coaches and learning, as you mentioned earlier, you know, um, speak to, to Josie Perry and, and learn about sports psychology and understand why I enjoyed my racing in the U S and why my Olympic trials performances were average. Um, 
you know, Joe Beer is a, a wealth of scientific data, and I love working with him on the the, the Club La Santa training camps as his swim expert. Uh, Steve True coaches very different. He went to the Olympics in 2000. Um, people love racing for him, training for him, and and he brings out the best in a sort of a, a fatherly sort of way. So you know, there's all these things, and and I'm absorbing this via the podcast. It, it was it was a, a it was a real highlight. It was a real high, even though it was obviously a crazy time. And, um, you know, it was a stress not being back on poolside and I missed my swimming tremendously. I, I, I do. Um, if you listen to Michelle and Susie, Susie, um, Rogers, you know, uh, Olympian at the Paralympics, Michelle Weltman, one of her coaches over the years, I sort of co-coach with Michelle, with the, the young Paralympians, um, Paralympic swimmers, uh, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, at the Aquatic Centre, volunteer at the London Disability Swim Club. And that's a great avenue for learning. You know, you, you think it's hard work swimming. And then, you know, you've got like um, Jerry, uh, Jerry Ray, one of our young quadra, uh, quadriplegic athletes, you know, missing from the elbows down, from the knees down, watching her swim butterfly. You know, that, that just reminds you, you know, you, you, you're having a bad day, but, you know, um, once you see that in motion and that beautiful butterfly stroke she's got, you think, you know what, I'm, I haven't got much to moan about. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think with the podcasting, it, it was it for me, it was a brilliant opportunity to learn lots. Um, but also, you know, we had all this time. Everyone had time. You could get, you know, I definitely found it was easier getting guests at that point because I'd got more time. They'd got more time maintaining it is still uh, is more of a challenge now that real life has resumed yeah gu- guilty i've not i don't think i've done one this year and um i must i must get on because i've got some got some people to speak to i'd love to catch up with them um you know joe and i have been talking about the january triathlon camp and you know the perfect way to to tell people about that is is uh, you know every week oh sorry can you know um my wife's on call. He's at, not at nursery. He, Joe's got family. And then you're just like, oh, it's been two months and we're trying to track everyone down. And it's hard, I know. <laughs> but I think we all need to be a little bit, it's actually something I was talking about on a, a business workshop I do called Strategic Coach. And, you know, in lockdown, we had loads of time. So me and actually several other people that were on the call at the time had all bought guitars during lockdown. And we were learning a guitar for the first time. And guess what? None of us have picked up our guitars for the last three months. Ever we, just, we have a lift, have to be a little bit understanding of the fact that, you know, we did have a lot more time on our hands than, you know, we have now that real life has resumed, haven't we? Um, so uh, I think we need to be a little bit forgiving of ourselves, but um, de- de- definitely, definitely. Um, and um, I mean, sorry, sorry, go on. I mean, I mean, on a Tuesday, I would leave the house at five thirty. I'd get to poolside um, for our first fitness session of the day. Then I'd um, do some admin, uh, do some one to ones in the afternoon. Make my way across to London Bridge, having started out at London Fields. And be home sort of by nine nine o'clock. I mean, that was a that was my longest exceptional day. But you think, right? And then suddenly, I'm waking up, not really allowed out of the house. There's no commute. There's no pool time. Um, I've got my laptop, got my stretch cords. How am I going to fill my day? Yeah. <laughs> There's only so much time you can spend with those stretch cords, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, one of the other things that blossomed in lockdown was open water swimming. Uh, you know, so many people got into it. I, myself, you know, we were we were um, a group of us going off and swimming in the River Neen, which I'd never done before and absolutely loved. It was it was good um, camaraderie, good for keeping the swim technique going. What were your thoughts um, and experiences around that open water swimming blossoming? I think maybe it was a a, a mistake, but I think the wording allowed wild swimming. Mm. And so suddenly everyone was jumping into rivers and then suddenly the, the, the open water swimming community that had been doing it for years were a little bit alarmed about the dangers. Um, You know, swimming is, is, is wonderful, but it, it it is dangerous. Let's not be, um, let's not make light of that. And, you know, sadly people drown it happens you know in a in a river a canal um there's it's hard to know what's underneath um you know shopping trolleys to get caught on branches who knows i mean it you know it it it, um, we're not talking about a beautiful clean stream in the lake district here are we um you know so there, there there are dangers and I think people once allowed to go and, you know, people that were swimmers that were so excited to go and do some swimming. Um, you know, I hope everyone just did it safely and carefully. And, you know, once we were allowed to open our lake, um, which sort of, there was a real tricky time because I remember this, the government wording was, you know, a ticketed event still weren't allowed. And obviously people purchase, cause we have to pay to hire a lake. People don't, sadly don't get to swim for free because we don't get to hire it for free so you know there's this whole circle so we hadn't opened the lake until this ticketed event thing was released um and then obviously the lake owner had to be happy to let us in and there was restrictions and covid restrictions and we need to be careful but um once that happened we we were really excited and pools were still closed so we were offering sort of four swims a week and we met, you know, I would have thought originally probably 80% of our, our swimmers were triathletes. Suddenly they were in the minority. We had people just casually breaststroking around. We had youngsters coming that hadn't been before. We had club swimmers, young club swimmers coming that um, obviously wanted to maintain their swim fitness because they hadn't been in a pool in a long time. Um, we had a real diverse and it was, it was, it made for a lovely Far fewer. I mean, last summer was that we had some really good weather, as I recall. The and and wetsuits weren't, you know, we we don't stipulate in any way. But but probably the most mix of age group, really diverse mix of age group, um, ethnicity, uh, wetsuits, non-wetsuits, male, female. It was it was a beautiful time to be swimming. Um, you know, and and our lake was was very popular, which saved us because the pools are still closed. Mm. Suddenly, we were offering four swims a week, and uh, we it was it was very popular. So you know that that the press coverage, the outdoor swim society, outdoor swimmer magazine, all of those people that that promote good outdoor safe swimming were, were really working hard to 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 spread the message, and people were coming and actually getting some good swimming done. Couldn't be happier that people were finally getting their mental health balanced and restored and doing what they they so loved it was it was fantastic i mean you're absolutely right it needs to be done safely and particularly when you're talking about sea swimming you know i remember somebody somebody saying years ago the sea is 
trying at every opportunity to kill you. So um, <laughs> you do have to be careful in the sea um, if you don't know, you know, and speaking to lifeguards and things like that is a, a very sensible thing. But it, it was fantastic. One of the things that surprised me was, you know, and this is somebody that swam, swims in Rutland water fairly regularly, but I have heard horror stories of people going swimming in different places in, in open water, in fresh water, and picking up bugs and germs and, and all that sort of stuff. It amazed me that none of the guys that I swam with had, any, you know, we were swimming two or three times a week in the river, uh, that none of us picked up any ailments or bugs or parasites or anything. Um is that you know are those sorts of things usual or is it just an absolute minor you obviously only hear about the bad situations don't you i yeah i think i think there's that reporting thing that you know bad news sells and you know it is good to be mindful of what can happen occasionally i mean i've done i've swum open water for years and I've had one upset stomach. That was at the docks. And I'm not sure I'd even blame that purely on, on the Docklands. I was getting ready for a Lake Geneva relay, which is a huge body of water. And so the London, so you know the Great North Swim, they uh, expanded to the Great East, the Great London. So what I had was a great opportunity at the docks to do a mile every hour for about four or five hours. So I swam a mile at 12 o'clock, then at one o'clock, and that replicated quite nicely in a small scale what I'd be doing an hour in the water in Lake Geneva, getting back on the boat, a couple of hours later, getting back in. So, you know, just making the training as swim specific as I could in a small environment at that time. And I think it was more to do with the fact that I got out between one of my swims. I probably didn't hand gel. I ate something and, and it just escalated from there. Um, but, you know, in years of being rivers, lakes, sea, I've had one sort of serious incident. And then obviously, you know, you need to be careful, like, you know, there's a good bit of evidence or that you shouldn't swim immediately after a heavy downpour as obviously mm. stuff <laughs> stuff goes in finds its way into the river yeah um funny story actually i was going to do the river jubilee 10k a few years ago and the night before sadly um this is sort of an upper thames tributary out sort of towards um henley and, and the oxford area if i remember rightly forgive me if i geography's off um but there was a heavy downpour and I thought, you know what, I've got um, I've got the Geneva swim coming and I really can't miss that. I won't, can't let my team down. I can do something else. So I binned it, went to my mum's for, for lunch to pop in and say hi to her. And um, so there I had been. I've, I've missed the swim because I was nervous about getting ill. And uh, bless her, her eyesight's going a little bit. And she said, oh, you you like Italian, don't you? Would you like some uh, melon and parma ham, that popular Italian dish? And on my plate was raw bacon <laughs> that, that I just about avoided. I was like, mum, thanks. But I think that she, oh, I thought it was that prosciutto stuff. <laughs> Sorry, mum, if you're watching. I didn't mean to share that with everyone. <laughs> uh, it's funny, actually. So, yeah, after a heavy downpour, I did some swimming in Cornwall a few years ago. And I got the worst tonsillitis I've ever had. And I've always said, I'm sure it was that that swim. Um, I was really ill for, for a while. But um, but the part of Cornwall I was swimming in is renowned for having um, runoff in, in, in the water, which I didn't wasn't aware of at the time. But um, but yeah, no, I was just amazed that, that none of us did get anything. And so that it's, it's reassuring to hear with all of your sea swimming or all your all your open water swimming that you've only ever had one um, encounter. Yeah, one of the I things mean, 
Sorry, I think, I think you need to be careful. Blue-green algae is quite a worry. Uh, Viles disease, quite a worry. Um, you know, check with, you know, if, if you can get a good rapport with the landowner and, and see if there's agriculture and runoff, um, you know, fertilizers coming into the water, things like that. Uh, avoid the rain. Um, I, th I think you can you can be quite confident. Um, what I've stumbled into recently on Twitter, which is really upsetting, is the um, the alerts when um, sort of the raw sewage is going into the Thames from the overflow that the sewage plants have lost their capacity. And I stumbled into that, and and that's a real disappointing discovery. That I mean, I'm not, I you know you know these things happen. But it's like with every heavy downpour now, which obviously we do get, you know, here's this Twitter feed. Um, I, I, I can't remember the, exactly who's who's doing it, but it's like, you know, untreated because of the overflow. It's like, oh, this is happening way too often for how we should be treating these, you know, the, these lifelines that run through the country. It's, yeah. It was very disappointing. Well, down in Cornwall, there's a charity called Surfers Against Sewage yeah, that, that's um that tries to bring awareness to this too. So it's, um, I know I, I totally agree. Uh, one of the other things that became popular or kind of came into their own, I suppose, uh, during lockdown was swim spas, even endless pools. You mentioned them briefly earlier. Um, I, I was lucky enough to be able to get my hands on a swim spa uh, during lockdown and, and it, it was absolutely brilliant for me. Uh, and obviously a lot of the pro swimmers and pro triathletes got, did the same. Um, the downside of swim spas and endless pools is that it is mind-numbingly boring, or at least it was to start with. Think I'm mastering it gradually. But have you got any advice for people that swim in endless pools and swim spas, both in terms of kind of getting over that um, mind-numbing, you know, how can you make it more interesting, and also, um, you know, what are your thoughts on, is it good for sort of improving technique and keeping your fitness and that sort of stuff? Um, I loved social media during the lockdown for that creative element of um, people trying to beat the fact they couldn't go to their traditional swimming pools, paddling pools with tethers. <laughs> um, you know, those lucky enough with endless pools were, were, were very, we were very envious. Um Vasa and the swim bench couldn't sort of make them quick enough um, to try to help people replicate swimming. And, and it's funny for years we had to, you know, as, as, um, as a swim coach, I had to advise like dry land swimming, stretch cord swimming, swim benches, you know, they won't, they're not a, they're not a, they're not a substitute for doing your real swimming. And then suddenly they were, weren't they? They had and to they, be. And we, we didn't have a choice. And suddenly I had to, you know, which is why we switched to vertical stretch cords. So you could still rotate, get your rotation in, not crease at the back and have your body in that nice alignment. So it, it, it generated a lot of um, thoughtful practice and people being creative, which was fantastic. Um, I think, you know, the notion of an endless pool is great. We used to own one. We used to teach out of it. Um, my background with the video meant underwater cameras and, and screens and recording was all very, very easy. Um, I think learning to swim, it's like a wind tunnel, you know, learning to swim against a current that is that much denser, you know, the water flowing around you can really punish you. So in terms of naturally teaching you swim technique, I think they're fantastic. Um, you know, if you continually keep sweeping your arm across and expose this surface area and the water meets that, 
you get punished. You can get that feedback, which is what you probably wouldn't get unless you were very in tune with the water in a normal swimming pool. So just the fact that they're harder, it's harder to swim in the flow, you should be able to make some progress, even without any coaching. Because if you keep kept experimenting, thinking, right, out here, I can feel that opening of the shoulder mm. and I'm pulling and that's uncomfortable. I'm entering here equally. I'm kind of getting that pushed into my face. If I just entered nicely with my fingertips, wrist following, arm following, and make that a nice extension and close down this surface area, I can swim at the similar heart rate with a faster flow around me. That's got to be a good thing. So I, I think they're great. But as you say, mind-numbingly boring. I mean, I tried music through headphones. Um, the noise of the water kind of made that hard, and I felt it was getting a little bit loud for, for my hearing. So I'd be a little bit apprehensive, but they did help. I think what you need to do is have a session, not just jump in and think, right, 30 minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just swim for 30 minutes. You've got to create a session and, you know, work out your, um, some of them have counters and the swim speed, it converts to a, a distance, sort of a, a, a meters, gives you an approximate 120, 130 per hundred meters or something. I mean, then it's a very loose equation. I wouldn't take too much notice of that but learn to swim like two minutes at this pace have a rest two minutes at this pace have a rest you know change the pacing um, or change the time create a session that will challenge you that will get you thinking you know get your watch to beep on a certain number of repeats of two minutes and and um you know a way of just mentally being stimulated so that you're not just watching excuse me so you're just not watching the bottom trickle by you know i mean even if you put the the endless pool is nice for teaching because you can put the mirror on the bottom and you can actually watch what's happening and where mm. you're but it's a lot of data to analyze that you're trying to move your arm accurately watching a reflection make subtle adjustments all within one stroke yeah. not easy but uh, you know it can help it can help yeah it's, it, it, i found i found the mental side of it, the most challenging bit to start with. The technique, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. I've I've definitely improved my technique on on the back of using it. From a mental point of view, the things I've kind of found to work. I, I went through sev trying several different types of underwater headphones and found that the headshocks ones that sit on okay. your jaw work as well as any with some with with um, earplugs in. But I just. I, and I tried listening to podcasts and things like that, and that wasn't working very well because you just, you're right, you, you lose a bit too much of the sound. But what I have found is actually, uh, and I've built some of these myself and a, a company called React Fitness have, have very kindly um, designed some as well, um, is creating the audio set as a file, as a file on the, on the um, headphones. So instead of kind of trying to look at your watch or having the buzzing of, of every two minutes, you've got. So I literally have sat there in front of my computer re, like for an hour doing an hour set. And then I found that I could put music in the background of that. So I've got music and the set all built into one. So that's actually been really good for me. But um, and, the, and these um, React Fitness ones kind of inspired me at the start to do that. But it's, um, yeah, no, it, it is it is really challenging. Now, I'm, I'm looking at you in your shed, and I can see there's books behind you. So I always ask people on this podcast, you know, what, what books do you find yourself recommending? What books did you find really valuable? You know, are there any books that you can... Um, 
uh, recommend to uh, it, to our listeners? If you um, something inspirational, um, swimming related, the uh, the Ian Thorpe book was excellent. Um, I relate uh, a lot to his well, not not at his ability, but you know his his journey. You know, swimming in the public, being irritated by bad swimmers making splashing too much splash and would irritate him his attention to detail for swim technique was was second to none i mean it doesn't doesn't talk that much about his swim technique it's not written from a coaching perspective but it's quite inspirational it's really nice yeah i haven't Um, haven't read that so that's yeah no that's really good uh the phelps book uh and all the he he was an absolute legend obviously i i i say that um without you know understatement but um you know his book and and all the work he did i mean he opened our eyes to swim training you know five years without taking a day off because that meant he would get 50 extra days of training a year because historically we would take sundays off that was sort of the thing but you know for him he recovered quicker than anybody we knew his ability to sort of absorb the training uh, was was a remarkable and um, I mean I've I've listened to a lot of Bob Bauman lectures as a coach. I've not seen a book from him yet. I, I I'm sh- I'd be surprised if he doesn't have one. But that was Michael's coach, and he's sort of in you know he's done a lot of like maybe not TED talks, but a lot of inspirational stuff. And and as a coach, he's he's phenomenal um, to listen to him and Michael's journey and what they did. That was. So for a swim coach, that was quite eye-opening, really, uh, you know, like, wow, that's the, the human body, that's possible, is it? <laughs> Incredible. Fantastic. They sound, they sound like, that sounds like three great things to go out and uh, for me to track down because I haven't, I haven't uh, engaged in any of those three. Um, uh, before we started the interview, we were talking briefly about, and you mentioned swim camps. Now, I like the idea of going away to, 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 um, to learn and improve my swimming, particularly if it's nice, crystal clear water. Um, what, what, what? Tell me a bit about your swim camps and what you do there. Uh, well, we started we started at Club La Santa because I went there as a competitor in the early nineties to sort of get fit after. You know, the, the swim season would end in the summer. Um, Olympic trials, summer of ninety two. Um, have a rest and then you'd kick start and you knew arriving back in the US it would be horrendous if you went back unfit you know we would play uh, water polo with running shoes t-shirts on as a sort of a pre-season get fit and I wanted to get fit before I got back because the coach in the US was was hard he was we were doing a lot of crazy stuff so I, I found Club de Santa open air 50 meter pool sunshine couple of my swim teammates uh, from the London Swim Club, we went over. We're like, wow, outdoors. This is amazing. Running track, weight room. What's not to love? Um, so fast forward, um, one of my uh, young idols, uh, you know, growing up, Robin Brew was uh, a few years older. He went off to the LA Olympics, uh, superstars, became an Ironman. You know, I went on one of his camps in the late 90s when I was taking it quite seriously. Loved the idea. It was great to reconnect with him and his brother who were sort of at Kelly College when, you know, when I was at Millfield School back in the Somerset, um, they were at the Devon uh, private school. Their father was coaching there. So this whole thing just meshed and came together. And then um, 
fast forward to again 2008 this sort of pivot point for open water um suddenly it wasn't just triathlon it was you know club swimmers master swimmers that didn't fancy bike and run had this new outlet um they wanted to learn to swim faster in open water having had a year years experience in the pool triathletes wanted to swim faster they needed to come um so I presented to Club La Santa and said, you, you need an open water camp now. There's lots of people racing, um, but no one's really doing open water camps. I mean, it will be helpful for triathletes. It will be helpful for anyone just wanting to go in. And they have a lovely enclosed uh, saltwater lagoon, which is quite shallow and very safe. So we, we, they've now got three 50-meter pools, which is remarkable. They've got the lagoon. We can pull the lane ropes out of one of the 50 meter pools. We put the small boys in. We recreate everything you might stumble into. We put the lane ropes back in. Um, we do pure technique. We have lectures. We do filming. We do fitness. Once people are a bit happier, we go into the lagoon and sort of take all that we've been learning and recreating in the pool uh, and building on it there. And then midweek, we go across to the Ironman course on the other side of the island and actually swim segments of the Ironman course and it's a you know beautiful body of water um crystal clear there's thousands of um scuba schools there because they know it's it's such a good part of the world for for underwater swimming and and viewing fish and whatever else they do down there I've not been on one but um I mean obviously that's the sales pitch as to why you know the open air the sunshine but honestly swimming two to three times a day and you don't even have to do this on a somewhere exotic if you could allocate if you're struggling with your swimming if you could allocate a week where you could swim twice a day not huge amounts but just every day once or twice even just like 20 30 minutes you start to build and build and improve and there's less time i'm fond of saying one swim per week is six days of unlearning so if you could just for one week take a swim even one swim every day so it builds and there's hardly any time for things to escape and fall away if you keep building 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 some of the results we've had over a week of pure swimming swimming a lot not allowing the technique to fade ingraining things so that where you learned i mean because I, I get a lot of this from people oh i'm doing two hours a week once a week well that's great within two hours you can get to here but then over the next six days it just falls away and then you start literally where you left off and i think another sad fact is if people aren't swimming at least three times a week preferably four it's hard to progress it's very hard there's more like a plateau effect mm. you know you can you can get to a level you can hold it you can hold it with two sessions a week but it's hard to make that breakthrough so a training camp is good because you've got you know no distractions nothing to lure you away you're there you've dedicated yourself to this um potential to be in the water every day and there's some amazing gains. You won't, you know, if you test yourself on day one and compare to day six, you won't have given yourself enough time for the body to absorb all of that. You've got to count, you know, three, four weeks down the line when you've got back home, not continued that amount, but at least continued the, the technique ideas, the philosophies, what you've done, the changes you've made, some of the dry land that you might have learned. You know, you will improve significantly within a month having done that first week on a training camp um 
Sounds fantastic. We talk to people and the results are are amazing because you can focus, you can listen, you can absorb. You've got other people there. There's a good camaraderie. um, There's a social side to it. People do bring their bikes and go off running. I try to restrict them from too much Zumba and all the other fun stuff because they are there to swim. But, you know, it's it's a great environment Uh, wherever you are. I mean, you know, Italy in May is a tri-camp but you're there, you're focused, you're not distracted and you can get some great results. Fantastic. It sounds wonderful. But I also think it's an interesting point that, you know, for example, you could say I'm going on holiday and rather than just sitting by the pool, you might say, well, I'm going to swim two or three times a day, every day for the, for the duration. And, and you've got, you've got some technique improvements in that. So that's, that's, that's brilliant. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's fun. We, you know, we make it, it you know, we, we appreciate people have chosen that as their holiday, as their time away from family and work. You know, we make it fun. We, we enjoy ourselves. We take a trip over um, to the other side of the island. Um, you know, people get away. It's a, I, I love doing them. You know, when I say it's work, I'm not going to get much sympathy, am I? When I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're away in Lanzarote working for two weeks. Are you on poolside? Yeah, and, tough, tough but, life. Yeah, my, gran, my gran was very funny 20 years ago when we first started. She's like, you you go on holiday a lot don't you i'm like nan it's it's work she's like what in italy and lanzarote (laughs) yeah yeah honest (laughs) well that's it if you you can engineer your life so that you're doing the stuff that you love then you know you can you know it's fantastic isn't it as i say if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life so um that's amazing. And and so for those people, just to wrap this up, for those people that want your help from uh, where's the best place to find out about you? And also if they want coaching just sort of on, on a week by week basis, um, where's the base, best place to track you down? Um, so swimfortry.com, swimfortry.com. From there, you can find um, training plans. We've written train. I mean, I had to do the training plans because people were asking it's not the best way of learning. I mean, there's nothing quite like being with someone on poolside, giving you the feedback, but I think we've learned enough over the years and we've worked out specific drills and methods that will help adults learn to swim faster. Um, So, you know, from training plans uh, written, whether it's one mile, 5K, open water, triathlon, um, we've got session in a bottle, a concept we um, developed uh, a few years ago where, um, you know, you can buy these. They've got six main sets written around them in a column format, a warm-up written, so you don't have to get the soggy paper. I've got technical one is green, um, various distances. The pink is the long distance, orange is middle distance, silver is a general fitness one. We've created those. We're in London predominantly uh, for one-to-one lessons for fitness. Um, We've got a lake in Essex. We've got... um, Lanzarote, three trips per year. Hopefully, it all starts coming normal and we resume in January. And uh, the tri camp in, in May um, with Steve. So, um, you know, we're heavily into social media, giving people the sessions we do. If you if you follow the hashtag, we swam, like every other day, I'm writing the session we did. So, even if you don't join us, you can still share in what we do. Um, we're heavily on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And something new called Active Place, where you can read articles and and get all the swim tips we put out there um, and so on. Fantastic. And I love the idea of the bottles. I've been wondering while looking at the the pink 
um, oh, orange and yellow and sorry green bottles behind you so um so what a great idea i love that idea i've not seen that before um yeah i mean we were very proud i mean it was you know it's been as a coach it's been staring at me on poolside for years you know people you know sellotaping elastic banding slogging bits of paper to their drinks bottles and I, one day i just thought yeah we can do that better yeah. Um, and, and I coined this intelligent training and I've got some other concepts coming um, with a new company. Um, we've been developing paddles and some things for your fins. And um, it'd be good to sort of share those with you as and when we launch quite soon, because we've really taken to heart adults learning to swim, potentially not having a coach with them and what needs to change. Because a set of paddles will make any kind of pull faster, more effective but it may not be the best a set of fins will make any kind of kick faster but it may not be the best so we've taken all of these things that have been a problem in the past and we're trying to manipulate them and that's going to be a new avenue launched heavily next year fantastic well we'll have to get back on the show to uh, to hear hear more dan it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you there's you. loads of brilliant brilliant advice in there and um yeah, I, I look forward to meeting up with you on poolside at some point. And um, let's let's do that next time. Yeah, we'll get some footage and we can um, talk some specifics. Fantastic. Dan, lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I hope you got loads out of that interview with Dan. I know I did. Uh, I think um, there's some great tips in terms of improving our technique whether that be using things like swim spars or our open water technique, particularly in those tricky conditions. And also at the start of a race, which is so intimidating for so many people, some really good advice uh, on how to uh, deal with that time calmly, but also to put yourself in a really good position for the start of the race, giving yourself you know, a, a way of getting space around you and also giving you, um, you know, a, a calmer start to that triathlon swim. Um, yeah, just so much great advice from Dan. Uh, and I particularly love his idea of the um, uh, the swim set on a bottle. You know, you can, uh, you can get a whole training plan as well as uh, a water bottle all at the same time as saving yourself having soggy bits of paper stuck to things on the side of the pool. So I, I think that's a brilliant idea and I can't wait to see his paddles and fins and things like that that are going to come to the market uh, in a in um, some new innovative ways that he hasn't shared with us yet. So we'll definitely get him back on to find out more about, about that. Um, so anyway, I hope you got loads out of that. Remember to go check out precisionhydration.com and the discount code TRIBATHLON15 for a discount. And if you want to find out more about Dan, go to swimfortry.com, I think it is. Um, and uh, But I'll put, this, put that in the show notes. And maybe even check out his Tuesday evening swim session in London. I know for a fact I'm definitely going to go and do that at some point. Um, so anyway, in the meantime, um, keep up the great work and keep on training. Dan mentioned his innovative training aid product, which is the uh, Swim for Try drink bottle. And that drink bottle is not just a normal drink bottle. Uh, it has a training set on it, so it has uh, different warm-ups at the top, it has different um, sets in the middle and then a warm down at the bottle, bottom. 
and there's four of these bottles in a set one for general fitness um, one for middle distance one for longer distance and one for more technique uh, I think this is a brilliant idea and I'm really looking forward to trialing these in my swim spa but anyway to be in with a chance of winning a pack of four which is which are worth 40 pounds um, if you want to go onto Instagram find tribe Athlon app uh, and if you want to share this podcast and make sure you tag us, uh, so put Tribathlon app um, in your post, then uh, and if you can tell people how brilliant you think the podcast is, even better. Uh, but if you can do tag us on a share on Tribathlon, we'll put you into a competition to win a set of those four swimming bottles with um, a with your training uh, sets already built onto them. Uh, if you want to see more about them, you can find them at swimfortry.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this Tribathlon podcast, please do go to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate it and review it. It massively helps us uh, to deliver a better podcast. It helps people find it as well. So yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, give us some feedback, give us a rating and a review, and please share it with your friends because ultimately that's what allows us to keep delivering more and more of these podcasts. And don't forget to download the Triathlon app for more amazing podcasts, but also to help you train, compete, and to build your tribe.